the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon and welcome into Woods and Water, South Carolina. You have to deal with my off and on sore throat today, so <clears throat> bear with me. I'm gonna, we're gonna make it through. I, I guess I brought this back from Knoxville. Who knows? Started getting to midweek and it's just hung on. I know <clears throat> a lot of people say, Oh, you got allergies. I don't have allergies. I really feel for people that do. And riding up the road on so many windows were, on cars were up. I'm like, are you people really got your air conditioning running already? Are you heat or why aren't your windows down? I mean, it's, it's gorgeous out there. What a day. Almost just didn't show up for the show. No, I, I wouldn't do that. But anyway, um, welcome to Woods and Water, South Carolina. My name is Roger Metz and I had a great, great time at the, uh, Bassmaster Classic in Knoxville last week. Ot Defoe could not have happened to a, just a, a great guy. Great. There's a bunch of them in there, but Ott, Ott's one of the best, and and congratulations to him. Uh, and and we'll have him on. He's gosh, he's so slammed. He's actually down. He's actually in South Carolina uh, fishing at the moment. Uh, for those of you who might know where he's at, but uh, yeah, there there are a bunch of them here fishing. Iconelli, oh, just a bunch of them around fishing. So, and it's not in preparation for any tournament either. Just fun fishing. Uh but yeah, we'll, we'll get out on here shortly and and talk about the classic win, it, you, <laughs> Mister uh, Mister Engineer over there. Do you do you know when when the sure sign of spring in in the upstate of South Carolina is? When the pollen arrives, false. It's when the peanut guy shows up on every street corner. <laughs> so yeah, riding into the studio today, the the peanut people were out on the street corners, and I'm like, that's it. That is a sure sign that spring is here in South Carolina. So it's, uh, it's go. <laughs> Speaking of that, uh, when we sprung forward, the best one I heard about losing an hour of sleep is you didn't lose an hour of sleep. You lost an hour of rain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me. All right. So <clears throat> I, I, I was honored to, to be invited to go back on the O search boat out of Hilton Head. And, uh, I, I sat down with Chris Fisher. We talked about the last couple years what do you think is going forward so the next segment you're going to listen to chris fisher from o search and then i'll be back at the bottom of the hour hang on more woods and water south carolina on the other side of the break Couple years since I've been on board the O Search. Um, lucky enough to get Chris Fisher again this time around. Brett's somewhere out there on a boat, so he's absent without leave today. But I got Chris. Chris, thanks for sitting down with me. Happy to be here. Uh, North American Shared Foraging Area. Tell me a little bit about the name of this expedition. Yeah, this area is named after the area where the sharks from both Massachusetts and Canada, two separate kind of fall aggregations where we believe the sharks are mating are both coming down and overwintering in this area that's between Cape Canaveral, Florida, and Cape Hatteras, North Carolina. 
between the Gulf Stream and the coast. It's a cool body of water that's pinched in here by the Gulf Stream. Okay. And it's the right temperature, and there's a lot of life. And so these sharks seem to be coming down here. And I'm talking about the bigger, mature animals uh, and the large subadults. And they seem to be sharing this large, shared foraging area, very similar to what we saw out in the Pacific with the shared offshore foraging area or the area that some people call the White Shark Cafe. So we're seeing the puzzle in the Atlantic shape up and start to look a lot more like what we saw off of the west coast of the United States in Baja and the eastern Pacific, uh, say then um, South Africa. Okay. It's much different than South Africa. There was one shark that y'all tagged right here mm-hmm. off the coast of Hilton Head Island that kind of opened up the whole door to this the Canadian, Canadian part, of the part of the puzzle. Yeah, that's why we're down here. Because we're seeing these sharks from different fall aggregations gather down here, and we're trying to solve the puzzle of the white shark in the whole North Atlantic, you know, where they're mating, where they're giving birth, how they migrate, and so forth. This area is important because when we catch a shark here and we tag it, we don't know where it's going to be this coming fall. Will it go to Massachusetts, which we already know about? Right. Which it, will it go up to Nova Scotia, which Hilton showed us, and while we went to Nova Scotia and had great success up there? Or will it show us someplace that we do not even know to look yet? Right? Will it go to a different location in the fall or early winter? And that's why the expeditions down here are so important. They're brutal. <clears throat> They're brutal because we'll capture in 25 days out here we're thrilled we've gotten two. We were hoping for just one. Okay. But because the data sets of the sharks from here in the past have shown us these new areas, they're some of the most important data sets we've got. So that's why we continue to come down here and capture the sharks in the shared foraging area to see where they lead us. If they show us somewhere to look in the fall, we did not know, already know about. And, um, and, and that makes it just very important. When you look at the data set that came from Hilton or Lydia that we captured at the mouth of the St. John's River in front of Jacksonville back in 2013... And neither of those sharks ever went to Cape Cod. We knew there was white sharks in Cape Cod. We tagged white sharks in Cape Cod, and they came down here. That's why we moved the ship down here back in 12 and 13. And uh, and then, lo and behold, we catch these sharks down here. They don't go to Cape Cod. They went to Canada. Opened up that whole puzzle, part of the puzzle for us. And so we're going to continue to do that and invest in these expeditions here until we feel like we've got a solid handle on what's going on with the North Atlantic white sharks life history puzzle. Sea life is incredible to begin with. Um, White sharks, what are some of the... I I was down watching some of the researchers do um, samples. You know, they had done all their boxes and all things, and they were just taking little samples of this and that. What are some of the ongoing research projects that they're actively involved in right now? So on an expedition like this, I think there's about 30 researchers from about 25 different research institutions. And what that allows us to do is to maximize the amount of learning from every animal we touch, right? Therefore, you can solve the puzzle touching the fewest amount of animals. Okay. Um, and in traditional science, each one of those scientists would have been competing against each other, trying to catch their one shark and do their one thing. In this particular case, because we're doing 15 things on every shark, you can get the same amount of data capturing one fifteenth of the sharks, which is definitely shark first and ocean first. Okay. Um, the ongoing research is a broad spectrum. I mean, everyone's really familiar with the, tra- the tracking, right? Right. Because that's what they see. But beyond that, we have multiple projects being done on the blood work, whether it's a reproductive person that's studying the hormones in the blood of the females to try to determine markers to determine whether or not they're pregnant. We're doing stress assessments on the blood. How much stress is the animal 
under as it goes through the process. We're doing the general health assessment for the animal from the blood. And then you move into things like uh, bacteria, where we're leveraging bacteria for new drug discovery for humans to try to fight things like SAF and MRSA because we believe the bacteria on the sharks has already demonstrated that it's kind of part of their immune system. It's that first thing that starts attacking infection when they have wounds and they heal rapidly. And so we're trying to leverage that bacteria for antibiotics for humans. We're also doing things like taking the bacteria off the teeth and the gums of the shark so we can test that. So when someone does have an interaction with the shark and they get bit, we know which antibiotic fights that infection from that shark and we can go right to the correct antibiotic because most people lose their life or limbs from infection, not blood loss. And in the past, they would just start guessing with antibiotics, and then after three days, that didn't work. Try a new one. After three days, that didn't work. And if it takes them eight or nine days to get on the right antibiotic, it can be too late. So what we do is we give them the bacteria in each region, like when we were in Africa or here, then we can test that against all the antibiotics we have here in the States. And when you do have an interaction, they can go right to the correct antibiotic and speed the healing of the human. Um, And then we're doing things like studying the eyeballs of the sharks, we get all the morphometrics and measurements from the sharks. We take muscle tissue from the sharks so we can understand their diet. And, and basically, you solve the life history puzzle of the sharks because you're trying to make sure that our kids have fish to eat. This is the biggest misunderstanding about OSEARCH. It's not a shark program. It's a fish sandwich program. It's about making sure that our grandkids can eat fish sandwiches. Yeah. It's just the path to abundance goes through the shark, like the wolf in Yellowstone or okay. the apex predator top of the food chain prevents that second-tier predator from exploding in numbers and then wiping out everything underneath. I don't think people really get the fact that when you lose the sharks in the open ocean, squid explode like locusts. Every night when they migrate to the surface of the ocean, they eat all the baby tuna, all the baby redfish, all the baby billfish, all the fry that we need to grow up for us to consume. And when you lose the sharks, the squid explode and they wipe out the fry. There's nowhere for them to hide out here. And in the inshore areas, the rays explode if you don't have the sharks, and then they wipe out all the shellfish. Right. Up when you get up in the northern areas, the seals run amok and they wipe out the lobster, the cod, or the salmon. So the real path to abundance in the ocean just goes through the sharks. And the science community was complaining to us back around 2005, 6, and 7 that we're down to 9% of our large sharks because of shark fin soup. And I said, well, just manage them back. Like, we were helping scientists study billfish and other things at the time. And they said they're so big, no one's ever been able to capture them. We don't know where they mate, where they give birth, and these various life history questions. And I was like, but you just said no big sharks, no fish sandwiches. And you're telling me we don't have that data set? Well, I guess we better do that. And that's really when O-Search began. It was just a need to solve a puzzle that was fundamentally important for our grandkids to be able to eat fish sandwiches. You said that same thing two years ago, that that this is not about shark research. It is about having sustainable populations of fish so our kids, grandkids can go fishing. Yeah, and our biggest challenge in making sure that our kids see an ocean we're proud to leave behind is data deficit. We don't have the data to manage. And so what we try to do, and the reason why you see these big collaborative teams and we're doing so much work on every shark instead of them all operating individually in silos, which is the traditional science approach, uh, is because we're trying to eliminate this data deficit problem. We need to collaborate. We need to create as much data off every animal as possible. So we create data that we've never had before, but also at a rate that's never been achieved before so we can begin to manage. What... um the relationship with Jacksonville University. 
talk just a moment about that because there's there's seven or eight young ladies down there who are either undergrads or grads. One boy. Uh, what's that relationship with OSEARCH like? Well, we're thrilled about the Jacksonville University relationship. I mean, we built OSEARCH to give it away in the future, right? And so as we all get a little older, we want to make sure that OSEARCH can continue beyond any individual's lifespan. And so we're in the process of a slow coming together with Jacksonville University. It's already the academic home of OSEARCH. We're starting to plan to open the OSEARCH Ocean Policy Institute at Jacksonville University. And in the long term, it will be placed there, you know, when I'm gone, and it can continue into the future. And so really it's that long-term play to give it away to the future. And Jacksonville is right in the middle of this North Atlantic shared foraging area where all these sharks are living in the winter. And so it's the right location. But more importantly, they have the right leadership. President Koss there, the provost at the time when we started the work was Donnie Horner, and then Quentin White, who runs their Marine Science Research Institute there. Um, they got that we collaborate with lots of universities. And that was one of our core values, was inclusion and collaboration. And they said, yes, we can build this program and we can still have scientists from all these other universities and other institutions working with us around these sharks. That's okay. Because believe it or not, you know, we had some conversations where like, oh, if you put OSEARCH here, I can use it for just my institution and we can get ahead of all the other ones. I'm like, no, no, we don't have shared values. I'm not going to put OSEARCH here. Because the idea of OSEARCH is create capacity that no institution has and give it to all institutions so we can get over this data deficit and time problem, right? And that's about collaborating. And so the, the, the entrepreneurial approach of their leadership, the forward thinking, the embracing of collaboration and open sourcing, those people there, their leadership, along with the location, right. made it a no-brainer because we had shared values. Ocean first, grandchildren first. And you, and you got that shared value because we've got a a, a a fish veterinarian on board today. Oh, yeah. We always have who, that on board. Who is, uh, and she's from New York. Yeah. She's, she's from way up north. Yeah, she's from the New York Aquarium and WCS, uh, the Wildlife Conservation Society, which many people don't even know of, but it's one of the biggest players in the world when it comes to, uh, you know, science-based conservation. And, um, no, we always have a vet on board and, you know, She'll take blood from an animal on a trip like this, and that blood will go to, like, five to eight different science programs. You know, okay. in the past, if a scientist drew some blood, they would hold it for themselves and sure. not share it with anyone. They would try to get ahead of everyone with it. But then they're only looking at one aspect of it, right? Because there's all these people with different disciplines that are looking at different aspects right. of it. So why wouldn't we do that? That's sure. grandchildren first. Yep. Well, it's been a it's been a beautiful day compared to last time where we sat inshore with 30-mile-an-hour winds. Uh no sharks today, but on a day like today when we're all on the boat and eating lunch and talking and mingling and all that, what, uh, what's Brett doing out there on the contender? So the contender is, you know, the hardest working crew of people on the ship, maybe next to the chef. I mean, you know, the chef's working hard, too. Uh, you know, they're leaving at dawn every day. They're out here selecting where we want to be, setting up all the gear, uh, constantly checking it and, and really just solely focused on fishing, right? I'm trying not to get in there, the whole big ship operation and sure. all this, distracting them too much because their job is hard. You know, okay. we're trying, you talk about catching white sharks is like a needle in a haystack type thing, right? There's not that many of them in the North Atlantic <coughs> and you're trying to find one. And so they're busy. I mean, they're rigging tackle. They're moving gear around. Uh, they're doing some chumming, although I can tell you as we've gotten older in our 
uh, our experience on the water, we're starting to believe more and more that being located is everything and the chum doesn't mean that much. Okay. And look, if you chummed and sharks came to you, we'd be done because we would just chum and they would have all come to us and we would have gotten them. <laughs> right. After years and years of doing it, you're like, uh, I don't think this really works that well. <laughs> you're better off to try to figure out where they are and get yourself located right. and then you can get them if you get on them. Right. Um, so it's a lot of that, a lot of watching weather to make sure we're moving all the assets, the different boats around, and I'm constantly asking him for weather input so I can make decisions on all the various pieces we have moving around. But I try to keep them pretty focused on just fishing because, because that's hard enough on its own. Gotcha. Well, where do, where do we go from here? Uh, so from here, you know, we're in the middle of finishing this North Atlantic white shark life history puzzle, and the scientists want 60 sharks to do that. They wanted 20 Young of the year or baby white sharks. They want 20 sub adults, not quite sexually mature, and these animals aren't sexually mature until they're about 20. Okay. And then they want 20 mature animals, then 10 male and 10 female of each category. So right now we have 35 of the 60 sharks that they want from the Cape Cod, Massachusetts aggregation. And so I'm not, I, told, I promised the scientists I would not move the ship out of the region until we get them their 60 sharks because I want to finish. I'm tired of these research projects that are always starting or they're in the middle and they take years and years and years and years. No, we're going to get the sample size they need so they can publish and then we'll see what needs to be done with the data, if anything at all. Because we're having a nice white shark recovery on the East Coast right now. Okay. Under, under the current level of pressure, it seems to me we're winning. Okay. I mean, that's just an anecdotal uh, observation. Um, but when you leave the United States, it's a catastrophe, right? Well, I mean, I think this is East Coast of the United States is one of the examples on how to successfully manage, even with our challenges compared to when you look at other parts of the world. Okay, West Coast is doing well, too. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to focus on sample size uh, for the balance of this year with a trip off Massachusetts and a trip up back up in Nova Scotia where we learned from Hilton okay. uh, where the sharks were. We might even sneak over to Newfoundland because <clears throat> Hilton went over to Newfoundland for a significant period oh after goodness. he left Nova Scotia last fall. And Lydia from Jacksonville also hung out in Newfoundland. And so uh, we're going to focus on that. I'm hoping that we get the remaining 25 sharks that they want before the end of 2020. Okay. Now, the big question is going to be, you know, Hilton took us to Nova Scotia. If those Nova Scotian sharks are not mixing with the Massachusetts sharks, then you actually have two separate puzzles. And we know where the, this one area where the Massachusetts white shark is giving birth, which is off the south shore of Long Island. We found a birthing site there, tracking Mary Lee. We went there. We tagged 20 baby white sharks. I was sharks. just going to say, you caught a bunch of baby yeah. white sharks. Now we know in the first year of their lives, they moved between the south shore of Long Island, New York, down to about Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, and then back up. And that's where the, the first year, the most critical year of their life is where they're most vulnerable. In, other, in the Pacific, we found more than one birthing area. So far here, we've only found one. Um, so if these Canadian sharks are not spending a lot of time in Massachusetts and vice versa, I would suspect that the scientists will say, well, we need 60 sharks from the Massachusetts population, and we need another 60 separate sharks from the Canadian population, which would probably extend our stay here a little bit because we're starting to get our head around it and we can get it done. But, you know, O-Search is an asset that's supposed to move around and serve the whole global science community. Right. So once we get that going here, and we want to do that for the eastern seaboard, because it's fish sandwiches for the eastern seaboard, um, we need to go help people like in the Mediterranean. We need to get back and pick up where we started back in South Africa. And, uh, you know, that there you're talking about probably 7 to 10 in the next 10 years. Sure. Because if they ask for 60 white sharks separate from the Canadian population, that itself might take us 3 to 4 years. Okay. 
So, I mean, I'm committed to the East Coast of the United States. I'm committed to the North Atlantic life history puzzle. I want to finish it. I want to be able to go to NOAA. I want to be able to go to other governments around the world and say, look, it costs us $2 million bucks a year to operate. You've wanted this data set around the life history of the predator of your region for decades, and it's been a lot of money, and we don't have the data. Based on our work in the Atlantic, we can come in here, and in six years, for $12 million, we can solve that puzzle, and you have that data forever to manage. So I want to finish, uh, you know, and, and, and be able to at least have governments be able to say, like, oh, wow, we need to understand how the, the balance keeper of our ocean is working. These guys can come in and do it for six years for $12 million bucks. Oh, my God, we've spent $30 million over the last 30 years, and we, we haven't <laughs> really nothing. learned very much. So I want to finish. I want to do it for the United States. I want to do it for science. I want to show that you can attack it. And really, that's really cheap in the, in the big picture of things when you're talking about the end result being the future abundance of the region. Sure. Well, maybe then I'll get one more spring expedition next year. Hopefully. Oh, I think you're going to be coming out every year for a number of years. <laughs> Good. You know, especially with us being in this region, we all love it down here, and we love the people down here, and the data sets that come from the sharks are so valuable. I think in the future, you'll see when we're able to get set up at Jacksonville University, because we're all spread out all over the world now, when we do an expedition, we have to kind of get everyone here and come together for 25 days, and then you're subject to a lot of bad weather, and you get little good weather windows. Right. You know, versus if everyone was living in the region through the winter, you'd be like, oh, we have a four-day weather window, we're all going out. And then we go back home and we all do our normal thing and, and then during the bad weather and then be, oh, in three days there's another. And it'll be more efficient like that, so you're only fishing the days where you can actually be on the spot you want to be on instead of hiding behind a jetty where it's less likely to occur. So you're always welcome out here. We love it in the southeast. Great. Well, we love having you. Uh, thanks for sitting down with me. Thanks for coming to the southeast. Thanks for sharing O-Search with us. Where do people go to find out more? Well, you can go to osearch.org and track all the sharks in real time. And if you want to see what's going on in real time, you can just follow the Osearch social handles on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And, you know, for example, if we caught a shark today, the world would know this afternoon. And we're trying to bring that exploration into the now and find these vehicles for people to be here in real time with us, even though they can't physically be here. Thank you, Chris. My pleasure. Thanks for having Look me. forward to seeing you again. Me too. Thank you. Man, Chris is such a great guy. Just, uh, like I said, it's about our kids having fish sandwiches to eat. So, cool. Go to O-Search right now. There's about, I don't know, 12 sharks hanging off the coast of Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina. Back with more woods and water on the other side of the break. Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina. I was uh, over the bottom of our break. I was looking at O-Search, and Hilton is currently on the break out of Charleston. In other words, right at the at the, the ledge is what they call it, um, along with Miss May and Jane and Gurney and Brunswick. And uh, oh, there's Norris Hammerhead. Uh, a lot, a lot of the uh, tiger sharks are clustered right off of Susanna, Charleston, Jacksonville, Florida. And it's just a cool. If you if you've never been to the website osearch.org, it is just really cool. 
It is cool. And, and to be out on the boat with the scientists, and then they were, I'll put up some pictures on uh, the Facebook page. I'll put up a gallery here tomorrow on those shirts that I took while I was on board. But, um, you know, the scientists were had had, um, had caught a couple of sharks before I got there, and they actually caught one after I left, the day after I left. So I'm just, I'm getting closer. I had the first time I was with them, we had horrible weather. The second time I was with them, I had great weather, and and they caught sharks before and after. So we'll see what next year brings up. But they, but the scientists' work is really cool. They were, uh, they had all uh, petri dishes, I guess you call them. I think they still call petri dishes. And with the with the uh, the bacteria growing in the petri dish, they'd taken off the shark, and they were they were taking samples and. And it was really interesting what they're what they're trying to learn, and just a great experience to be out there. It's uh, <laughs> woof. Sometimes I sit back and look at where I was back five or six years ago, and think I'd have never dreamed I'd have been doing some of the things now that I that I'm doing, which is really cool. Um, <laughs> the Palmetto State Cla- Palmetto Sportsman's Classic is going on right now in Columbia. Beautiful weather out there. Uh, a, a great event. They've got over 325 vendors this year. They got nature, nature nicks, animal adventures in, uh, in one of the ag buildings. Of course, they've got just all sorts of things. The kids fishing pond, the catch and release fishing pond. Uh, to hear a kid squeal when they catch a fish. And I mean, a lot of these are really small kids. Like they can't even, can just barely see over the edge of the, the pond they've got there constructed on the, at the state fairgrounds. It's cool. There, the South Carolina Youth Bass Fishing. I guess they've weighed in already today. Don't have any updates on that yet. Uh, the hog trough is there, and then just uh, if you've got a if you've got a deer that you want scored, they've got antler scoring on going on this weekend down there. I've got some seminars and events for you to take part of. Let's see. I guess we'd have to scroll through to Sunday uh, turkey call with Ron Waters, uh, Cast Danny for beginners, Mike McDon- Mike McDonald. Uh, Kerr Chainsaw Carving. I stopped by their booth and, and some of the bears and, and things they had. That's one of the pictures on the, on the Facebook page right now. I got a gallery up on the Palmetto Sportsman Classic from yesterday and they were there. That was for Coyote Trapping. South Carolina Trappers Association is going to be going on. That's in the Moore building. Uh, in the Nut Arena, the Hog Trough is there. Uh, Nature Nick's Animal Adventures is there too. And then Free for Kids, you got the kids, the fishing booth, uh, which is, you know, <laughs> they fish for prizes, which is pretty cool. The Take One, Make One Heritage Trailer is there next to the Ellison Building. Uh, the Kids Fishing Pond is there at Ellison Building, too. The QDMA Scavenger Hunt is going on in the Goodman Building, which was fun. I was standing there talking to Rick Counts, and a kid came over, and he had, he'd found everything. And he was like, where's my prize, you know? And it's good to see these kids involved like that. The DNR Boating uh, Simulator is there. Uh, the Marine Touch Tank, which is a pretty cool thing, is there for the kids and, and adults, too, I guess. And then they have a BB gun range also. So that's all still going on tomorrow. Uh, they're open today, if you're in the area, uh, till 7 tonight. And then from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. tomorrow, the state fairgrounds, beautiful weather. Uh, I believe tickets are like $10. So, hey, and they have smoked turkey wings and funnel cakes. And Hickory Hills is there with all sorts of sausages and samples and their Traeger grills was outside and they had barbecue and chicken and just little samples. So you could really, if you play it right, it's a, it's like, okay, I walked from the parking lot and I walked every aisle, Neil Paul and I, every aisle through every building. And it was like 1.4 miles. 
So if you played it right, you probably could get a whole meal of samples during the one one point four miles. And, and the nice thing about it is you'd get it and then walk it off, so it wouldn't like penalize you. That's what I was getting ready to say. You get the best of both worlds. Great right. food, and you get to walk it off. And it's all level. That's the nice thing, too. It is concrete, so wear some comfortable shoes. But, uh, yeah, it's a great time down there. And that's uh, a 35th one. Really cool one. Okay, springtime. All the trees are flowering and all that. Uh, well, let's call this one the curse of the Bradford pear. This was an article in, in Greenville Online by uh, Durant Ashmore, and and my dad actually is the first one that brought my attention to this because he's got some what looked like Bradford pears coming up in the field next to his house, and he was talking about the thorns on it. And so, sure enough, you started seeing all these articles, but let me just go through this with you and, and talk about Bradford pears a minute. All those white blooming trees you see everywhere, do you think they're pretty? If you knew what they actually represent, you would choke on your morning coffee and gag on your scrambled eggs. All those white blooming trees you see now are an environmental disaster happening right before your very eyes. And uh, he's talking about Bradford pears, which were brought in. Well, he goes on. If it's blooming white right now, it's a curse. Now, I was looking coming in, and most of them already leafed out. So this was a week or so ago. Um. He said, this dictum especially applies to that charming Bradford pear, your dim-witted landscaper planted in the middle of your front yard. If you've got Bradford pears, you know exactly what he's talking about because they're they're weak. You know, ice storms, split Bradford pears. My brother's been growing firewood in his front yard for the past 20 years at his house (laughs) because every time there's a windstorm or an ice storm or snow, he has Bradford pear firewood (laughs) that he's grown in his front yard. Uh, it was introduced as an ornamental in 1964 by the U.S. Department of Ag- Agriculture. It was known then that this tree possessed the weakest branch structure in nature. <laughs> also, the, here's the key. The tree was assumed to be sterile. They seldom last more than 20 years before they bust apart of the seams, and that's part of the good news. In an attempt to extend the lifespan of this despicable tree, other varieties such as Cleveland Select, etc., were introduced. These trees will live for about 25 years. That's a little consolation for the resulting disasters that happened when these other pear varieties were introduced. And here, here's the rub right here. After 25 years, the ill effects of the steep V-crotch branch structure, which all pears possess, take their inevitable course, and now you have, you know, firewood. But they've come to find out that these trees are not sterile. Now, no two Bradford pears will ever produce among themselves because they don't, you know, they can't. But they do cross-pollinate with every other pear tree out there, including the Cleveland Select, that were meant to be the salvation of flowering pears everywhere. Because of the cross-pollination problem, pear trees have now proliferated exponentially across our environment. And make matters worse, the evil offspring has reverted to the ancient Chinese calorie pears, which form impenetrable thorny, thorny thickets that choke out the life of pines, dogwoods, maples, redbuds, oaks, hickory, etc., when you see these fields of white flowering trees, please don't get giddy with excitement. What you're looking at are the calorie pears destroying nature. They have four-inch thorns. They can't be mowed down. These thorns will shred a John Deere tractor tire. They can only be removed by steel track dozers, decreasing the value of ag or forest land to the tune of $3,000 per acre. Now, I, I disagree. You can get rid of them without a bulldozer. But I guess in bulk, if you're 
trying to get rid of them, it is. Uh, also, make no mistake, this solitary Bradford pear growing in your yard is what caused this problem. Your one tree has spawned hundreds of evil progeny. If you don't believe that, just take a little ride and notice all the white flowering trees blooming these days. The closer they are to ornamental Bradford pears, the thicker they are. If you want to save the world, here you go. Cut down your Bradford pear trees. And he says, I cannot be more serious about this. For those of you who are regular readers, you have read this before. For the first time, readers, welcome to the club. This is my annual bashing of the Bradford's column. I appreciate all the support I have had. This is a campaign from readers who have sent me pictures of cut down Bradford pears and ground up pear stumps. It does my heart good to know the message is getting out. So, yeah, that's the truth. They are, when we were growing up, the the thing that every time we bush hog pastures or whatever, we were on the lookout for locust trees because honey locust trees have a thorn on them and it will punch through a tractor tire faster than in. Is there wood in here? I need to knock on. There's wood right there. I have yet to puncture a tractor tire in 40 years of bush hogging with a locust, but you do find them. We used to find them once every four or five years at the farm. You'd have a locust spring up. And we've got a pretty good one growing now that we're leaving for the deer. Luckily, it's not in the pasture. Um, and my dad just heard that and said, when I see him later on, he'll say, now you need to go cut that, that locust tree down. But you can get rid of them. Cut them off the ground level. Get you some arsenal. Uh, one of the other, um, I forget the other names of them now. Uh, cut them off level with the ground. Paint them good. And they may sprout back, but you can kill them. As long as they're not able to collect water, they're going to die shortly. So, uh, yeah, the Bradford pear. You've got firewood, and now you've got thorn bushes. And uh, if they were good for wildlife, it'd be one thing, like the old, um, you know, the wild, uh, oh, man, I'm just losing it today. <laughs> but you used to have lots of, of somewhat thorny uh, hedgerows and all in the country over over overgrown fence lines but um while i'll get it i'll get it it'll come to me when i'm trying to think of but anyway get rid of those bradford pears before they uh turn into thorn bushes in somebody's vacant field so anyway hang on through the break got a good calendar of events coming up to close the show and uh, back with more woods and water south carolina just a few seconds Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina, final segment for the day, and uh, a calendar of events. One of the things about being out of town and having uh, having to do live shows and all is sometimes I I miss out on some of the good things that are going on back here. Uh, and one of these is a perfect example, the Wild Game Supper uh, in Sandy Run at Blue United Methodist Church. So if, you, if you've got anybody around the Columbia area, if you're listening down that way, uh it starts at 4.30. So in about, uh, what, 45 minutes or so, uh, they're going to start the event. Supper's at 6. Uh, tickets are available there at the church. they got kids' activities, live music, and all the wild game you've ever wanted to try. And they're going to have some hunting and fishing reps on site to display their products. Uh, this year's speaker, Michael McLean. Leadership begins with service. Michael learned early in his career that in order to succeed, one had to enlist help and support of others. This can only be done when the leader can communicate the vision of what needs to be done and inspire others to join in the journey of making that vision a reality. So, uh, again, that's uh, the fifth annual Wild Game Supper 
Balua United Methodist Church in Sandy Run, South Carolina. Got any friends down that way? Let them know. Next weekend, well, actually, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of this week and next weekend uh, is the um, it's the Charleston Paddle Sports. Let me, let me get the right thing here. Ah, uh, all that. Yeah, it's this the it's the Charleston Paddle Paddle Sports Expo down there at uh, James Island County Park Thursday. Uh, there's some events going on, check-in and stuff like that. Friday, coffee check-in, registration meeting area, meet the coaches and plan the day. Uh, they got learning venues spread around. Then you come back to the park, dinner at Smoky Oak Tap Room. Saturday, uh, more of the same. And Sunday, too. But, uh, goodness, just a great day. You know, paddling gear, what to bring, bring your canoes, paddles, that sort of thing. Um, and, of course, clothes. Sunscreen, that sort of thing. Registration, you can get more information uh, at Charleston Paddle Sports Expo. And that's happening in Charleston for all you kayakers and all that along the coast. Uh, March the 30th, Forest Fest 2019. This is happening at Issaquina Lake Road in Central South Carolina, hosted by Clemson Experimental Forest. It is uh, Join us for the fourth annual celebration of the Clemson Experimental Forest. Forest Fest is a free event full of family friendly activities, games, and adventures. Come come learn about the trails, meet some wildlife, paddle on Lake Issaquina, and more. Issaquina or Issaquina? I grew up on Issaquina Drive. I have always heard it pronounced Issaquina. Yeah, see. That's what I've heard. I always said Issaquina. So anyway, uh, <laughs> you can get down there and ask them what they what prefer. Uh, enjoy live music at the boat landing. Come anytime between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Stay as long as you'd like. Picnics welcome. Uh, note. Isaquina Lake Road will be one way during the event. Enter off Old Six Mile Road behind Ma's Grocery near D.W. Daniel High School. Maps will be provided. So, anyway, cool, free, family, entertainment, outdoors, no less, at the Clemson Experimental Forest, March the 30th, which I believe is next Thursday. I mean, next Saturday. Is that right? Next Saturday? I'll tell you. Yep, next Saturday. I got it. Okay. You don't hear much about this anymore, and then this is one that's, I don't know, I don't know exactly registration or whatever, but Eddie Eagle, do you remember Eddie Eagle, which is the National Rifle Association uh, Firearm Safety? I mean, Eddie Eagle was a great firearm safety program, 80s, 90s, and I hadn't heard anything much about it. Not in a long time. Yeah, there actually, uh, there is an Eddie Eagle firearm safety class next Saturday, March the 30th. At the Clifton Church, Church of God in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I'm not, it, there is, it is a ticketed event because it tickets by, event, by Eventbrite. Uh, this free firearm safety class, so I, maybe it's free, you just have to register. This free firearm safety class is for pre-K to fourth grade, but we are not sticklers on age. There will be no firearms on hand. Pizza will be served. If you want your little ones to know what to do if they see a firearm, this class will help. Please let us know if you are going to attend and how many of y'all will be bringing. We will have some real fun stuff planned. Parents, to help us maintain order, we ask that an adult attend the class with each group of children that participates. Also, we will have some important information to parents after pizza. So, Eddie Eagle, which is pretty cool. Uh, I believe it was, is it Illinois? Some state just approved Hunter Ed in school. And I can't remember, I think it was Anyway, it's, it's a growing movement. Missouri, I think it's back in the classroom in Missouri. 
has been proposed. So Ed Eagle, I remember Ed Eagle was an award-winning program of gun safety. So the you know up to fourth grade at that in that age group, you want them to know what it is, take the mystery out of it, but you want them to understand it's a dangerous thing. And if they see one, especially while they're playing or something like that, that's that's when they need to you know, go get an adult. That's it in a nutshell. Don't touch it. Don't pick it up. Just go get an adult. But that's pretty cool. Uh, April the 1st, Spring Break Water and Wildlife Camp. This is hosted by Spartanburg County 4-H. Uh, it's going to take place out on 612 Chesney Highway. And this is also ticketed. Campers will deepen their understanding of how nature works while exploring the Lake Lyman, which is part of the Tiger River watershed. Yes. There will be tons of games, challenges, and outdoor fun. We'll be exploring the habitats of native wildlife, learning about conservation areas, and taking a closer look at soil, water, plants, and animal populations. We will start each morning in Lyman Lodge and then split up into our eco groups based on age. Each group will rotate through the day's activities and rejoin as a whole group for lunch and games. Some of the activities we have planned include fishing, canoeing, dissecting owl pellets, okay, making your own jellyfish bait, interesting, and I'm not even going to see that. Sunlight exposure photography, cenotype, and much more. So, um, Spring Break Water and Wildlife Camp, hosted by, gosh, I I think it's Clemson Cooperative Extension Group. Got to get better on these printouts. All right, and then the final one for this week, the 6th Annual Public Safety Deer Supper, April the 4th, 2019, at Abbeville County Clemson Extension Building, that's at 265 Industrial Park Road in Abbeville. Six o'clock. This event is free to everyone. Everyone is welcome. Menu includes barbecue, deer sausage, tenderloin, chicken hash, a variety of sides, no alcohol, sponsored by the Abbeville County Sheriff's Office, City of Abbeville Police Department, Abbeville County Emergency Services, and the City of Abbeville Fire Department. So that'll get your wild game supper fix in between this Saturday and then. And that's your calendar. Look, it, these are, this is, a, I, I hate I wasn't earlier on some of these events to get the word out, but then it's just a place to start. There's so much more I to do outdoors in South Carolina. I can never even begin to get to it, but these are just some of the ones that people send me or that I find or, uh, or look up. I haven't covered one in a while. Uh, seven totally friendly, seven totally kid friendly hikes in South Carolina that are one mile and under. You ready? 40 acre rock which is between Kershaw and Lancaster, South Carolina. It's really a cool thing. Uh, the entire family will love the adventure exploring this 14-acre rock outcropping. It's just a big old rock. Uh, note there are two trails. The one from the lower parking lot is 1.7 miles long. However, if you continue driving on the same road, you'll connect, encounter another, the upper parking lot, and the trail from this lot is much, much shorter. So uh, 2207 Conservancy Road, Kershaw, South Carolina is where you'll get it. And... Um, just one of those, one of seven, for those of you with kids that need strollers and level places to go. It is springtime, if you haven't figured it out. It seemed like the leaves just appeared over the last two days. And um, fishing. Everybody should be out fishing today. In fact, in five minutes, we're going to call recess. And everybody needs to go outside and play around a little bit. And if you have some water around you, go fishing. But, uh, and I have, I have tons of these articles about the benefits of being outdoors, the, how kids need to be outside, how exercise, especially in nature, uh, 
you know, just just speaks to so many of uh, of the stress and and all that everybody's under. And uh, this one came along, actually, it's from 2016. It's one of those I went back and dug in the archives. I saw it's in there. The top ten health benefits of fishing. Are you ready for this? <laughs> Give a man a fish and he'll lie all day. <laughs> that no, that's poetic license. Give a man a fish and feed him for a day, but teach a man how to fish and he'll lie the rest of his life. No, that's not it either. But teach a man how to fish and he'll be healthy for life. There you go. <laughs> uh, you know, don't ever ask a fisherman where he caught a fish. He's going to lie to you, and he's going to lie to you how he caught it too. Just expect it. So whatever he shows you, don't do it. Um, full body strength. The protagonist, the protagonist in Hemingway's The Old Man in the Sea battles a giant marlin for three days. That's one strong dude. Your average hobbyist won't be called on the strain day and night to reel in an adversary, but battling of a small fish calls engages the shoulders, back, arms, core, and legs in an excruciating workout. Fishing encourages sportsmen and women to train their bodies so that they have the strength when the time comes for the big catch. That's especially true if you're out all day. Family bonding. Fishing is a skill passed on through the generations. Amen. With grandfathers like my granddaddy Metz taking the younger kids like me out to the family pond or familiar pond and instructing them how to hook a worm or paddle the boat. One of the two. <laughs> Spending your time with your family promotes feelings of security and well-being, making fishing a worthwhile activity to learn. Boost the immune system. Vitamin D helps your body regulate the absorption of calcium and phosphorus, two minerals that improve immune system function and help defend against disease. The best source of vitamin D is a day outdoors under the sun with sunscreen. Promotes relaxation. A beautiful day spent in a mountain stream following by a dinner of grilled fish. Sounds idyllic, doesn't it? Spending long hours in nature with a focused task is akin to meditation, an activity linked to lower blood pressure and decreased anxiety. Improves cardiovascular health. Fishing burns an average of 200 calories an hour. I would say that depends on whether you're in a boat or standing in a trout stream. Teaches self-reliance. In our service-oriented economy, we rely on others to perform all kinds of functions in our daily lives. Fishing puts you out in the wilderness and calls on you to master a variety of different skills. The more involved you get in the sport, the more you'll learn from driving a boat to hunting down tackle. Bestows patience. You don't, unless you're extremely lucky, you don't just drop your line and hook a fish. Some days you can, some days you can't, some days you come on empty handed. But persisting makes you a more patient person, accepting a defeat, but unwilling to quit. Encourages travel. You travel to fish. Enjoying the great outdoors. Fishing inspires a closer connection with nature and all the creatures in it and improves balance. As anyone who has ever reeled a catfish in a canoe can tell you, fishing requires some aer- aerobatic maneuvers. Balance requires core strength and benefits, flexibility, both of which will help offset back pain. Cool. And I think that's about it. 30 seconds to go. Had a big birthday party for my youngest daughter last night. I said something. My dad goes, take the back roots when you can, and don't forget the camera. And I told him, I said, I didn't think you listened. So here's for you, Dad. Hey, make time to get out there. Take the back roads when you can, and don't forget the camera. I'll be back here with more Woods and Water South Carolina next Saturday. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.